This morning, I want to introduce our guest preacher today, and uh, it's one of our own and part of our church family. And uh, if you don't know Bob uh, Ridland, then today you get the opportunity to meet him. Bob and Liz Ridland have been members of Bethel for about a year, and uh, uh, Bob has a mathematics and science background. He uh, loves the Lord Jesus. He's retired Air Force officer and uh, has uh, served on pastoral staff for six years at uh, uh, Sister Church, uh, First Baptist Church in O'Fallon. And uh, he's a good friend and a great brother in the Lord. He's authored a couple of books, and Liz has authored a book, and they, uh, they just love the Lord. And uh, he's been a professor at uh, SWIC, and uh, he uh, uh, is a man who loves the Lord and loves the Word of God. And uh, so, uh, Bob, uh, I've invited Bob to come and preach today. Bob fills the pulpit and preaches in other churches and other places, and uh, I thought you ought to hear what other people are having to hear, all right? And uh, I want you to welcome with me today one of our own, Brother Bob Ridlin, as he comes to bring God's Word to us today. Would you welcome him now, please? Welcome, Bob. Praying for you. Thank you very much. If you would, uh, open your Bibles, please, to the book of Proverbs and chapter 3, and I'll be speaking on uh, two very familiar passages verses 5 and 6. So Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. And while you're uh, turning to those, let me uh, uh, ask you a question. Has anyone here ever been afraid? Uh, If you've been afraid at some point in your life, I'd like you to just raise your hand. Okay, fantastic. Glad to hear that. You know, um, I'm actually scared right now, just to let you know. Um, um, uh, I wasn't uh, that afraid uh, when I uh, showed up uh, for the service this morning, but a couple of people came up to me and said, are you nervous? And I, I really wasn't until they asked me that question, and that uh, started it. Uh, you know, in fact, if I would uh, run into you someplace, like at uh, Cracker Barrel or something, and instead of saying hello, what if I said, uh, don't be afraid? Uh, what, what, would that, uh, what kind of message would that be? You start thinking about, well, what's there to be afraid of? So I'm going to um, talk a little bit about being scared, and um, that's there's a reason why, by the way, that we do have fears. And you know why? There's a lot of things to be afraid of. There really are a lot of things. Um, you know, I think you'd agree with me. We live in a perilous world. We live in a perilous world. We live in a perilous uh, nation. We live in a perilous state. We live in a perilous region. Uh, there's just bad things happening all the time. And if you don't believe me, just look at the newspaper take a look. Um, there's always hope for a, you know, a better future, but uh, honestly, the, uh, the prospects look kind of grim. But are we worse today than we were 50 years ago? Some people think we were. Uh, how about 100 years ago? About 1,000 years ago? How about 2,000 years ago? Well, y- you know, I just read an article about uh, a couple of months ago. Uh, someone had done some research, and in 5,000 years of world history, there's only been eight years where there wasn't a conflict going on someplace. Now, some people think there's always been conflict, but this researcher said there's been eight years out of 5,000 where there wasn't some conflict going on in history, uh, and those were even consecutive years. So, um, if I could have the first slide, please. Let me tell you what Habakkuk says. Oppression and violence are right in front of me, 
Strife is ongoing and conflict escalates. And that sounds like today. That really does. I think he said it uh, then and I think it applies now. Well, another reason that I know that there are things to be afraid of is when you read through the Bible, uh, there's at least 25 times that it's said from God to be courageous, to be strong and courageous. Now, I don't know why God would say that 25 times unless there was something out there that might cause us to, to be afraid. Um, Jesus said about a half a dozen times, don't worry, don't be anxious. And there's 40 or more times in the Bible where it says, do not be afraid. Now, that, that should tell you something. What it doesn't mean is that there's nothing to be afraid of. There's a lot to be afraid of. It's, it's quite the opposite. Well, just think about some of the Bible characters. Think about Jacob. Think about Joseph. Think about uh, um, Moses. Think about uh, Joshua when he was about to enter the promised land. Um, Esther uh, showed fear. David, of course. Uh, Elijah, Peter, the other disciples. And they all had to deal with it just like us. So there are things to be afraid of, but we don't need to be afraid of them. That's the difference, and I want you to make sure you get that. Um, don't, don't miss that. That's um, the key ingredient here. A lot of things to be afraid of, but we don't need to be afraid of those things. Uh, because along with those commands to be strong and courageous, there's something else that will occur too. So could I have the next slide, please? Deuteronomy 31.6, there's a sentiment articulated in that, the essence of which is don't be afraid, be strong and courageous. But the second part of it is, for it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. So right now, if you're starting to feel drowsy already in the, in the message, if you're getting a little sleepy, anyone feeling a little drowsy, you know, like a little hangover from the Thanksgiving turkey, I want you to just write this down. This is the key. This is the key thing to write down. The key to conquering fear is recognizing God is with you and trusting in him. God is with you and trusting in him. So after you write that down, if you want to doze off for a minute or two, uh, go ahead. I'll wake you back up uh, when I get to my first uh, point in your bulletin. You know, Paul writes in uh, Romans 8.31, very famous, if God is with us, who is against us? If God is with us, who is against us? You know, it's a rhetorical question that Paul's asking. Because it means we need not fear when God is with us. So God's not only with us as a believer, incidentally. If you're a believer, God is in you. God is in you. Galatians 2.20, Paul says, It is no longer I that live, but Christ that lives in me. So if you don't know the Holy Spirit, that's the third person of the Trinity, and it's promised to every believer in a special way. In 1 Corinthians, Paul writes, Do you not know that your body is a sanctuary of the Holy Spirit who is in you? whom you have from God. So the Holy Spirit lives in us as believers. I know I'm taking a lot of runway up before we hit uh, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, but uh, believe me, when we get airborne, you'll be thankful for the, for the time uh, in the runway. So let me tell you something else. Uh, you know, if you go all the way back to the Garden of Eden, I just want to talk about God with us now. All the way back to the Garden of Eden, was God with Adam and Eve? Yeah, of course he was. Yeah, and what, they had a very intimate relationship with God because they were able to communicate with them, right? They, were, uh, they talked back and forth. God is their creator. Um, how'd you like that? That'd be fantastic if God were personally talking to us. Wouldn't that be great? That'd be fantastic. Yeah. Now, you know, in, Je in Genesis chapter 5, we also see a character named Enoch. And the Enoch was not only communicating with God, he was walking with God. Wouldn't that be great if you were like walking with God? How would that feel? 
That's cool. I mean, that would be really pretty neat. That's a pretty close relationship, wasn't it? That would be great. Well, maybe some of you wouldn't want God walking with you, but we'll get to that in a few uh, seconds. But let me tell you something. Walking with God and talking with God, that's intimate. However, as believers, we have a more intimate relationship. More intimate. It's more intimate. We have God living in us. And then uh, Paul writes again in Romans 8, 9, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, since the Spirit of God lives in you, lives in us. Okay, next slide, please. Yeah, this may look familiar to you, hopefully. You see this uh, here and there. Um, I really like that Bethel mission statement, boldly following Christ and transforming the world, one person at a time. And I like the word boldly. I like that a lot. Um, it reminds me of Star Trek. Yeah, Star Trek. I love Star Trek. Yeah, you know, the crew of the Enterprise, you know what their mission was, right? Do you remember it? You may not be able to recite it all. I wrote it down. It has its continuing mission to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new life and new civilizations, and to boldly go where no one else has gone before. So, you know, Pastor Tim's been talking a lot about uh, Bethel embracing the future. We've got uh, big things coming for us, some changes, and so here's the deal. That can be scary. That can be scary. Change is oftentimes scary for people. Um, You know, after the death of Moses, um, God spoke to Joshua, the new leader, and said, Three times, God said this three times in the first nine verses of Joshua. The first nine verses, three times he says it repeated. Be strong and courageous. And the last verse, he says, don't be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And I want you to just keep that in mind, that no matter what comes our way, whatever the circumstances are, we have God in us. He's with us always. Next slide, please. Yeah, I love this. I put it in your, I love this so much I wanted to put it in the bulletin for you so you can see my favorite John Wayne quote, courage is being scared to death but saddling up anyway. Now, I'm going to be like Tim. Amen? <laughs> of course, yeah. Well, we are entering into a new territory for the church and even new territory. You know, there may be not just new territory for the church but new territory in your life. There may be changes coming. Uh, I know my wife, uh, just, you know, we experienced a few years ago, well, quite a few years ago now, that empty nest thing, you know, and uh, those kinds of changes. There's always going to be a change in our life, new territory. But I want you to, before we get airborne now, I want you to do something for me. I want you to think of something. Think of that one thing that's worrying you or that one thing where you're just not quite trusting God with, that thing that's you know, coming up on the, on the radar. And I want you to kind of just hold it in your mind. Uh, keep, it think, keep, keep it in your mind. And we're going to come back to it in a, in a minute or two. And... Uh, and uh, see where that goes. So, if you have your Bibles uh, open, I want you to uh, follow along with me as I read these verses. I know you've heard them many times, but um, we'll say them again. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not rely on your own understanding. Think about Him in all your ways, and He will guide you on the right paths. Uh, can we just have just a short word of prayer before we uh, uh, get going here? Uh, Father, I, I pray... Uh, your blessing on this time this morning. I, um, I pray that you give me a clarity of speech uh, to proclaim the truths of your holy word. And I pray that you give the listener a heart, a heart that receives those truths in a way that will change lives. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to look at these verses. Um, in, you know, I'm going to extract the points you've got in your notes. I think these verses in Proverbs uh, represent the central message of the Bible. I think it's the central message of the entire Bible. Uh, I had a person come to me one time and said, I've read the Bible three times, and I still don't know what it 
says. They actually said that to me. They said, I've read it through three times from Genesis to the end of Revelation, and I still don't know what it says. And they said, what does it say? What is it saying? And, you know, sometimes the Holy Spirit just gives you an answer. I mean, I felt, well, maybe we could, uh, I could give, a, you know, an hour's worth of dissertation on that. But the words that came from the Holy Spirit to me was, God is saying, trust me. Those are two words that represent the entire scripture. Um, so, you know, when you read the Old Testament, um, God is he's always sovereign and in control. And I appreciate um, hearing uh, the word read from Tim this morning. Pastor Tim read Psalm 139. And um, we see God is always sovereign, always in control. And you know what? Always victorious. Always victorious. You know, the Gospels and the Epistles in the New Testament, they're just proclamation of Christ's victory. It's a proclamation of Christ's victory over sin and death. And then the book of Revelation, the last book, is really the story of the final victory over Satan and the evil. So the central theme, I believe, of the Bible is found in these in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust in God. But you know what? That is where we're vulnerable. That's where we were vulnerable. I get it. You know, I'll tell you right now, I'm going to preach this sermon this morning twice. And tomorrow morning, I'm going to get up and worry about something. I'll just tell you right now, I'll be very honest with you about it. I'm going to preach trust in the Lord, and I'm going to explain what that means as we go through the verses here. But I'm going to get up tomorrow morning, I'm going to worry about something. I'll guarantee you, I'll do it. And I'm going to explain why that is too. So, if we look again at Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, we're going to look at verse 5 first, and it says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. So, the first thing I want you to get, and the first thing in your notes, I'd like you to see it's the object of our trust. The object of our trust. We see right away the imperative word trust. It doesn't say give some thought to it. It doesn't say you might consider uh, trusting. It says to trust, an imperative word. And trust uh, in the dictionary definition is an excellent one. The dictionary says this. Trust is having a firm reliance on the integrity, ability, or character of a person or thing. A firm reliance on the integrity, ability, or character of a person or thing. Our trust is to be in the Lord, and I'm submitting to you that the, if the Lord's the object of our trust, I think the dictionary definition fits perfectly. I think the dictionary has it right. Does God have integrity? Of course. How about ability? Yeah, God can do anything. The Bible says God, for God nothing is impossible. How about God's character? Yeah, the Bible, you know, if you, some people say, I don't get the Old Testament. Well, the Old Testament is revealing the character of God. That's the character of God. You want to know what God's like? Read the Old Testament. God's holy, righteous, just, sovereign, knows everything. He's everywhere. He can do anything. His love is con- unconditional. God never compromises the truth. And His mercy and grace and love is shown to us by sending Christ to die for our sins. Now, I'm going to contrast that with Anything else. I mean, you can just think of something else you want to contrast it with, but let's just say stuff. You know, we got a lot of stuff. We like to get stuff. People love to get stuff. At Christmas, we're going to get more stuff. You know, that stuff's going to fall apart. It's going to get old. It's going to break. It's going to get... uh, My wife and I go to antique stores sometimes. I like going to antique stores, and then I always make the same comment. Uh, One of these days, our stuff's going to be in this store. Yeah, think about it. It's true. You You know, a doctor can't fix every illness. I'm thankful for doctors. I am. I don't, don't get me wrong. I am thankful for a doctor that can make me well and make me feel better and heal my family and friends. He can't fix everything. 
Um, you know, we got friends. We put a lot of trust in friends and relatives. I don't know if you realize this after Thanksgiving or not, but sometimes friends and relatives can disappoint you. They can change. How about the court system? We don't even need to go to the court system, do we? We know they get it wrong sometimes, don't, don't we? Sometimes they get the verdict wrong. Well, you get the idea. I'm thankful for all, all these things, but the person or thing is going to fail. Um, there's going to be a mistake made. Something's going to change, but God will always love us and will not fail. Well, so event after event you can read in the Old Testament that demonstrates that, what I just said, the characteristics of God. So we can conclude that God can be trusted. We can trust God. We are to trust God, but how? So the second part of this verse says, trust the Lord with all our heart. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Now, heart in this context does not mean emotion. Nothing wrong with emotions, but that's not what this means. It doesn't mean trust God with all your emotion. It means, in this passage, that we're to put all our will or all of our trust into God. We're to be fully disposed or inclined to trust God. You know, the word heart in Hebrew didn't mean this. The word heart in this passage, the the, uh, translation of it means your mind, your thoughts, and your spirit. It really did mean that. Um, So when... When it says to trust with all your heart, it means to use your head. We're able to logically trust God. That's why there's so much evidence in the Scripture for uh, God's character. Uh, you know, I'll give you an illustration of this, how this looks. Sometime after Israel entered the Promised Land, things didn't stay good. You know, Israel tended to fall into a pattern of idol worship. And they did that for years and years and years. And because of that, God had used uh, a a people called the Midianites to bring uh, Israel to their knees. And um, they, in fact, the Midianites ruled over Israel for seven years. Every time Israel would plant crops, the Midianites would come in and steal stuff. They'd steal their livestock, they'd mess up things, destroy crops, etc., well, finally Israel gets desperate, couldn't stand the Midianite occupation any longer, so they cried out to God and said this in Judges chapter 6, quote, save us from these people. That's what they said. They finally figured it out. Save us. Well, this is the story of Gideon, and I'm not going to read the whole story, but I'm going to give you a couple of highlights here. After Israel cried out, an angel came and sat under an oak tree and spoke to Gideon. Gideon was threshing wheat, but he was doing it in a wine press. And if you don't know what a wine press is, it's not what you might think. It's like a swimming pool. It's like an in-ground swimming pool. So uh, there's Gideon, and it's a, the Bible says he's in the wine press in order to hide from the Midianites. So he wasn't like, I'm busy down in the wine press. Gideon's down there hiding Scared of the Midianites. Well, the angel of the Lord comes and says, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Well, Gideon responds by this. Please, sir, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened? And where are all of his wonders that our, fa- our fathers told us about? Hasn't the Lord brought us out of Egypt? Now, but now the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to Midian. Uh, the Lord turned to uh, Gideon and said this. Go in the strength you have and deliver Israel from the power of Midian. <laughs> that had to be a... Bit of a shock to Gideon, 
but God says, am I, am I not sending you? So Gideon responds this way. Please, Lord, how can I deliver Israel? Look, my family is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the youngest in my father's house. Very unlikely candidate for the job. But again, God responds back. But I will be with you. You'll strike Midian down as if it were one man. So you've got to be all in. You've got to be all in. Gideon, um, he gets a bad rap sometimes. Gideon was doing what it said in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, believe it or not. With all your heart. Gideon wanted to have all his heart in it. He didn't want to do something if he wasn't sure about it. He gets a bad rap because he continues to question God. You know the story, um, how he's going to subdue the Midianites. But if you read the, carefully, the story carefully, you'll see that it's not, Gideon's not doubting God. Gideon's doubting himself, and he wants to make sure that God is on board with this. We ought to be more like Gideon. I really think so. You know, we ought to exercise that same level of care when we seek God for uh, something we're planning on doing. We ought to be very careful. We ought to really seek God's will in these things. Don't let our emotions, our overzealousness, uh, or even our fear drive our decisions. We need to be sure about things. We need to trust the Lord with all our heart, with our, with our thinking. Well, next slide, please. Our understanding is not always complete. Don't rely on your own understanding. Why not? Didn't God give us a brain? He created us with a brain. He gave us intellect. He gives us talents and gifts. He gives us the Holy Spirit. Why don't rely on your own understanding? Well, here's the problem. Our understanding is not always complete. Our understanding is not always complete. Let me tell you a little story uh, about my... Uh, I like talking about my grandchildren, and I'm going to start off by saying this. All my grandchildren are really, really smart. I'm just going to say this because it's possible they'll download this message, and I want them to hear... Grandpa said we were. Sm- I don't want him to think that I picked on one, but I'm going to pick on one of my grandchildren. My middle grandson is a real smarty, and he's the guy that you remember when you took the standardized test in school, and then you took it home. Say, look, mom, I got him in the 77th percentile, and then but you always see there's a 99th percentile. Where, where did that come from? It was my grandson. My grandson gets the 99th every time. It's just some. It's just something special about him. I don't know where he gets it from, but when he was seven, he's sitting in front of the TV like a lot of kids do. They like, uh, they, and it's kind of a great place to, you know, get the kids away for a little while. So he's in front of the television set. Now you've, you're going to relate to this, I think. At least the shows I watch, this is what comes on. It's an advertisement for the mobility scooter. It's the mobility scooter. Now, so here's Christopher. He's seven. He sits right in front of the TV. The advertisement comes on, and here's the, what, the, what it says. Have you fallen more than two times this week? Christopher says, yeah, that's, that's me. I'm falling. Second question, you sometimes find it difficult to make it to the bathroom on time? <laughs> yeah, Christopher said, that's, yeah, I'm in. Third question, are you finding yourself to be increasingly a burden to your family? He said, that's me. That, I'm, that's me. What do you think, what's the next thing they say? You can qualify for a free scooter. He's jumping up and down. Mom, free scooter. Now, let me ask you. Did he hear anything? Did he hear it correctly? Perfectly correctly. He heard it correctly. His ears were working perfectly. He repeated it back. Exactly what was said. Mom, I can get a free scooter. One, two, three. He got it. Was there anything about that advertising that would have been confusing to, to me? No. It obviously was directed towards somebody who had a mobility issue, not to a seven-year-old. 
Now, he's honest. He's convinced that um, he could qualify. So the problem was not what, what he heard, but it was based on his view of the situation. It was based on his understanding of the situation. Now, you know, if you haven't figured it out, we're, not, we're smarter than a seven-year-old, some of us. I don't know. I wonder sometimes. It's, it's just that we have a limited and imperfect understanding, don't we? Yeah. You know, our brain may work perfectly, but our understanding is deficient. Even the smartest person in the world. You know the smartest person in the world, I think, has an IQ of like 190? Like 190? Even they only know less than 1% of all there is to know, even with a person with a high IQ. So, you know, whether it's complex in, in nature or it's some small issue, we only know what our five senses can provide for us. You know, our, our visual, uh, the, uh, the spectrum that we see in is, is limited. There's certain things that are seen by other organisms that we can't see. Our hearing is only within a certain uh, spectrum. We can only touch what we can, you know, we can only feel what we can touch, tangible things. We've got a limitation. We have to be able to interpret that. We've got a lot of data, but um, it's even limited by our education. But we can recognize that even if we're smarter than a seven-year-old, God's infinitely uh, more wise than us. So we trust in the Lord with all our heart. We don't rely on our, on our own understanding. Think about him in all of our ways. But the next thing I want you to see is we are to include God in everything. Next slide, please. Include God in everything you do. Think about him in all your ways. I like the way the New American Standard actually puts it, uh, in all your ways, uh, acknowledge him. And that really gives that rich connotation of um, everything you do. Uh, it, you know, so I'm going to ask you, how much time do you really spend with God acknowledge, trying to acknowledge him or, or in everything you do? So uh, Sunday morning, I think we're all in good shape there, right? Okay, we're good. Um, quiet time every day? Great, fantastic. Um, how about work? How about your work life? Are you, is God with you in your work life? Are you inviting him to participate in your decisions? How about the TV programs you watch? Movies that you go to? How do you raise your children? The way you treat your spouse? You know, these are all places that we need to acknowledge God in every single thing. It says in all things, in everything. So it means more than just a fleeting thought or a prayer. It means, when it says think about, acknowledge, it means dwelling on something for all it's worth. Let me read a psalm to you uh, from um, uh, one of David's psalms, Psalm 63. I'm just going to read the first eight verses for you. You know, this was uh, George Patton's favorite psalm. Uh, I'm not sure what he thought about the first eight verses, but um, verses 9 through 11 uh, are the ones that I think he appreciated most because it kind of vindicated him when he was um, being persecuted for certain things. He wanted to see his enemies uh, vanquished. But the first eight verses I like, uh, David says this, God, you are my God. I eagerly seek you. I thirst for you. My body faints for you in a land that is dry, desolate, and without water. So I gaze on you in the sanctuary to see your strength and your glory. My lips will glorify you because your faithful love is better than life. So I will praise you as long as I live. At your name, I will lift up my hands. You satisfy me as with rich food. My mouth will praise you with joyful lips. David says this, When I think of you as I lie on my bed, I meditate on you during the night watches because you are my helper. 
I will rejoice in the shadow of your wings. I follow close to you. Your right hand holds on to me. So how does David acknowledge God in his life? Everything, everywhere. Now, it's a tall order, right? It's a tall order. It is. It's also a fine filter for our actions. It's a tall order, but a fine filter. So I suggest to you, before taking a step in any direction, we ought to give that plan to God, think about him, his awesome character, his love for us, involve God in all you do. Well, we know we trust in the Lord with all our heart. We don't rely on our own understanding. We think about him in all of our ways. But then it says, God will guide you on the right paths. And that's where you want to be, on the right path, right? Who wants to be, on, anyone want to be on the wrong path? Let's see, anybody? Let's see a show of hands, we'll talk later. Anyone want to be, no. No one wants to be on the wrong path. Surprisingly, there are people, believe it or not, they're Christians that sometimes go in directions they shouldn't be going. They oppose God and his plan. Why? I don't know. Many reasons, maybe moments of immature thinking, perhaps uh, someone's not uh, experiencing or recognizing God's love for them. Hard to say. You know, a pastor friend of mine is fond of saying this. Every path leads somewhere. That sounds pretty simple, doesn't it? Every path leads somewhere, but it's quite profound when you think about it. Um, yeah, you know, because when you're on a path, it does wind up someplace. And if you're on the wrong one, you're going to wind up in the wrong place. Now, I'll just tell you a little, a little thing I learned. Um, when I was a kid, I got the Highlights magazine. Remember the Highlights? It was really great. I could, two things I loved. What's the two things we loved about Highlights? Hidden pictures. Yeah, everybody liked. And the maze. I love the maze. And uh, it was so frustrating to me because I just got, you know, spent so much time trying to find the end where you're supposed to get. Well, when I'm like seven or eight years old, I figured it out. You start at the end and it saves a lot of, yeah, worry. You work your way backwards. Now that's cheating, isn't it? I cheated on the puzzle, but I learned. It actually came in handy later as a consultant because I did a lot of reverse engineering of things in my work. Uh, so it, it kind of pays some dividends. Yeah, you know, we need to be on the right path. Uh, God leads us on to. I'm going to just uh, read another thing. I'm, you know, I'll tell you one thing I'll say about the uh, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. The problem with it is that it really is, as I suggest, I think the central theme of the Bible, it was hard for me preparing this message to keep everything scoped down. There's just so many things I wanted to, I want to say about it that illustrate it, but I'm going to um, give you one more scripture um, what Jesus says about what we just talked about uh, in Luke 7, 46 and 49. Jesus says this. You know the story um, of uh, the person who built uh, their house on the... Um, wait a minute. Do I have the wrong scripture? Seven. Hmm. Well, good news. We won't be doing that. <laughs> Sorry about that. Um, when Jesus talked about building your house on the solid foundation instead of on, on the sand because when the storms came, the person who built their house on the sand was washed away. But the person who built their house on the, on the rock, it stood. And, you know, I, I'm just going to just say it this way. The storms of life are going to come for you. They're going to come. If they haven't come, they're going to come. If, they haven't, if they've come already, they're going to come again. We're going to experience these storms of life. I'm just going to submit to you that when we're on the right path, we can be confident. All right. Well, in kind of wrapping up, I just want to say this. The first path as a believer that you'll encounter is the path of salvation. You know, the Bible says that all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And that's, that's not future tense. That's present. You can be saved right now. So when you, when you um, surrender to that 
call and you are um, submitting to Jesus and you're saved, you're saying, I'll go where you lead. And so that first path is the one that leads to salvation. And, you know, we got a clue about that. Um, not only the path, but how to get there. Jesus says, enter through the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the road is broad that leads to destruction, and there are many who go through it. Well, we also know that's the only path. You might have heard uh, some people say things like, all paths lead to heaven. We hear that sometimes. People want to think that. It's kind of wishful thinking. But let me tell you, it's not true. We get that clarity from John 14, 6, don't we? Jesus said, I am the way. I am the way. I am the truth and the life. And Jesus said, no one comes to the Father but by me. So we know that's the, that's the path we want to be on. I'm going to just say one thing about what salvation looks like. This is the hope um, that we all have. It's from 1 Peter chapter 1. Peter writes this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That's, great. That's, that's, that's right there. That's fantastic, right? And it gets better. And into an inheritance that is imperishable, uncorrupted, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. There's, we have an inheritance waiting. We have an inheritance that's waiting. It's reserved for us in heaven. It's already there. It's re, not, only it's, not only is it reserved but, reserved, but it says it's preserved for us. It's not going anywhere. The bank account is not dwindling. The stock market is not falling in heaven. Who are being protected by God's power through faith for a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Peter says this, You rejoice in this, though now for a short time you have had to be distressed by various trials. We're going to have fears. We're going to have fears. But it says, so that the genuineness of your faith, which is more valuable than gold, which perishes, though refined by fire, may result in the praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Uh, big takeaway here is uh, we're going to, there's going to be stresses. There's going to be storms. There's going to be fears. It's for the refinement of our faith which is more valuable than gold. Well, if you're not saved, um, the rest of the paths are not accessible to you. Um, you know, God leads the believer on these paths when we trust him. But if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Romans 10.9. Now you're on the right path. Well, when we trust God, he guides us on the right paths and he'll guide you on the right path. He will. If you've trusted him as Savior, you made him Lord, you're on the right path. If you haven't, I'm going to encourage you right now. This is the time. There's no, there's no more important decision you'll ever make in your life than asking God to be Lord and to save you. And he is faithful to do it. Now I'm going to close by reading a poem, a part of a poem, not a, not a whole poem, but uh, although I like the poem, Robert Frost wrote, wrote this, The Road Not Taken. You remember maybe when you were in school you had to memorize The Road Not Taken? It's my favorite poem uh, of Robert Frost. I'm going to read the first part of it. He says this, I shall be telling this with a sigh somewhere ages and ages hence. Two roads diverged in a wood, and I, I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. So let me ask you, are you trusting God with everything? Um, when we began this morning, I said I want you to take that one thing that's 
always in kind of the forefront of your mind, perhaps, that you're not trusting God fully with, I want you to recall it. Now, if you're walking in your own strength with that, good luck. Good luck. But if you're trusting God to be with you when he, when he calls, be courageous. Don't be afraid. I mean, there's many things we could talk about that areas where we don't trust him, but I think it says it all. The Bible says in several places, happy is the person who trusts in you. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for loving us, and thank you for saving us. Um, Father, we love you, and we seek to serve you, and I pray that every person here will recognize your love and that you can be trusted in all things. And, and Father, if there's one here today that hasn't surrendered to you, to your love, I pray that they'll make that decision to come to you at this invitation, and I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.